Hi, I'm Jackie Jones and welcome to my podcast, Living Life Being Human, the number one podcast for anxiety, stress and mental health support. Don't forget to click subscribe to be notified of my latest podcast episodes. And if you get any value from this podcast, please support me by leaving a review. It really does help me out and it motivates me to keep making these podcasts. You can connect with me on social media at Jackie Jones Coaching and subscribe to my YouTube channel to get weekly videos all around anxiety, stress and mental health. I hope you enjoy this episode. to introduce my guest the wonderful Sophia Gibling hello that right yes, yes you have. Um, I've, I've been stalking Sophia for a while now because she does such amazing things um so Sophia has an amazing podcast called Treasure Time which is little bite-sized nuggets for parents teachers carers whoever um on building communication through play with their children i'm not sure whether i'm sure you'll pick me up on whether i do anything wrong so there's the facebook page treasure time there's a podcast treasure time but sophia also set up a clear sky children's charity when you were very young i'm impressed with the amount you've achieved to say you're still a baby (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure about that but yeah yeah, compared to some you are um so i'm going to hand over the reins to sophia and let her just give a bit of backstory or say anything that I've missed out about the wonderful things that you're doing oh thank you um well first of all thank you very much for having me here today really happy to speak with you and yeah I think I'm sure that you and I are going to have lots of things to talk about because our backgrounds are very similar um uh, yeah so I my story kind of starts back in um well actually it really it starts back when I was 15 um I I always tell this story because I think it's important to know like you know, you, when you look back, you can join up the dots and you can see yeah. where you've come from and why. Um, so when I was 15, I, sadly, I went through some trauma in my life. I lost my mum when I was a teenager, um, actually, when I was doing my GCSE exams. Wow. So a difficult age anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was a very short illness that she had. She had cancer and she passed away within sort of three months of diagnosis. Wow. Yeah, so there wasn't a lot of time to prepare. And also, you know, I've had conversations with my dad recently where he said, we never even had conversations about her dying. Like, we just didn't think it was going to happen. She had such strong belief that she was going to fight it. Yeah. Um, but sadly, she didn't. And so what happened is that, obviously, you know, very, very difficult for the whole family. Um, and for me in particular, I'm the eldest child of four. And I'm also a girl. So I think what can naturally happen is that you get put a bit into that mum role. That role, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I recognised that, like, you know, had to support my siblings and my dad and also do my exams. And then it was that sort of sensitive time in life as well where you're trying to decide what you do next. And all my friends are, like, going off to do um, their A-levels and, and thinking about going to university and getting jobs. And I was just in a point where I got... I was just like, I don't want to go forwards, I want to go backwards. And... I think that's quite natural and quite a normal part of the grieving process as well. Um, but as what an it, adult, we can we can work all that out. But as yeah. as a, a young person, which you are, you know, I think fifteen year olds think that they've got it all sorted, and then a trauma happens, and suddenly, I, you just want your mum and your mum oh, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, like going through all those stages of, of of growing up at that age as well. Yeah, um, it was really tough and. 
I didn't really even acknowledge the severity of the trauma probably until like a few years ago I would say you know like understandable yeah yeah survival mode kicks in you do what you've got to do to get through and I found myself kind of going through the motions I went I did my a-levels but I you know I didn't study I, I was I got kicked off a few because I wasn't showing up and um and I didn't want to go to university but all my friends were doing it and my dad was like please just go because you know for him yeah being contained within education helped helped him to feel better yeah that you know I was kind of on track and um he goes just go just go to university and go and get a degree in business and then you can get a nice little marketing job because he works in sales and marketing um and at the end of it and and that'll be that and I was like okay like I don't know what else I'm doing so yeah I'll do it so I didn't I kind of followed the path without really having any I didn't do it very consciously uh intentionally but I came out of that time you weren't really doing anything very consciously you're kind of just going to overdrive you separate out from things to just function yeah yeah absolutely just get through the day you know that's that's how it was so I kind of I got uh, uh, you know I kind of went through life a bit unconsciously until I, I came out of university and I, you know I had this degree and then I was like now what like, <laughs> what do I do now what? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was kind of like looking for a bit of inspiration for what I do like I had this degree in business but I also had you know worked with children either side of going to university and um, children with profound and multiple learning disabilities in a school setting and I absolutely loved the work um, and I didn't sort of realize it till I looked back, but there's a very common theme for me here about the types of ways that I like to work with people. And it, a lot of the time it is around how we communicate. Yeah. Um, and obviously when you're working with children that have got profound multiple learning disabilities, you have to find another way to communicate because words just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll pick up the theme probably as we go along. hundred <laughs> percent. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> But so I, I was looking around for some inspiration. I was about 20, 23. And um, my cousin was training at the time. She'd done a degree in psychology and then she'd come out and was doing training in play therapy. And I was like, what is play therapy? I've never heard of this yeah. thing. Um, we just play naturally. What, what's the therapy bit? Exactly. Yeah. Sounds like a bit wishy-washy to me. Yeah. A bit fluffy. Yeah. And she goes, well, it's like counseling for children, psychotherapy for children, but using play and creativity instead of words to help them to um, process their difficult feelings and come to some resolutions and understanding about the world around them. And I, it was like a little light bulb went off in my head. I was like, oh my God. This is it. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been so helpful for yeah. me? Yeah. Even at 15 years old, I'm, I, couldn't, I didn't have the words to articulate what it was that I needed yeah and you know especially then for my younger siblings my youngest my youngest sister was only nine at the time you know so it took her a, lo- a really long time to kind of come to terms with what what's happening and process it so I I was kind of then on a mission I'd found my, a little bit of inspiration and I started to follow that trail and I and I would talk I had lots of conversations with her about you know like what are the challenges that you have and she was like well I'm going to be a play therapist I'll be qualified but there's no jobs out there for play therapists. You have to, you have to set up your own practice. Yeah. And um, she was like, but I, I don't really want to do that. Like I, I just, I want to be a therapist. I want to do the work with kids. And I was like, huh, interesting. Mm. Um, <laughs> and then I thought, <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing she said to me was like, well, you know, people, 
people can't really afford play therapy um, or you know schools I'm trying to get in touch with here they don't have the budget for it yeah yeah it's always a big barrier and I was like huh okay so there's no jobs and there's no funding so what could I do that would make a difference that would actually help more children to access play therapy uh, in in their through their school because I knew in my own experience that in a trauma situation sometimes school is the only containing space that you have yeah um, and you maybe don't necessarily have parents that are able to take you off to to access sessions yeah um or you might but you know for lots of kids it's not a possibility so I was like okay do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna try something really different here and I'm gonna set up a charity to provide the funding aspect for therapy um make it subsidized or even I was thinking at the time free for schools and, and create jobs for therapists so that they can do what they love and that children can get the help that they need. Amazing. Yes. So seriously, I'm 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 in awe for you to think, right, this is a this is a problem. What's the solution? I can do this. There was there was no barriers. You just thought, yeah, I'm just gonna run with this. I thought I'd just try it because I, you know, sort of like in between as well, I'd been doing a little bit of freelance, um, sorry, volunteer fundraising work so I was, I was learning about how fundraising I don't you know I wasn't particularly thinking I'll go into the charity sector but yeah. um, it seemed to fit with my skills and and that's what I keep sort of coming back to is like we have these specific gifts that we're given and if you know what your gifts are it's quite easy for you to kind of go oh, okay well you know that fits my skills and I can do it quite naturally and it flows yeah. so I'll give it a go and I think that's how it was for me with with setting up a charity I was like well I've tried a few different aspects of you know, I have a degree in business and I've worked with children and um, I've now got a bit of fundraising experience. So I'm just going to see how far I can push this and play it a bit like a game. Um, and I remember sort of not really thinking, I mean, I had a big vision, a big vision. I wanted, I wanted children across the UK to have access to play therapy, every child that needed it in the school. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's a huge, it'd be a huge undertaking and require a lot of funding and, and all those sorts of things. But but pinning myself to like a really big vision helped me to move forward because I became very purpose driven and, and not motivated by the things that my peers were being motivated by, like money and status and, yeah. and graduate jobs and all that stuff. This was also at the time of the recession. So I was really struggling to get any kind of job in 2000, back in 2008 as well. Yeah. See, I, I love that. I don't know whether you've heard of him. I, I studied um, a lot of Michael Neal which he did a brilliant book called Creating the Impossible. Oh, okay. And what you're saying is exactly what he says, is aim to create the impossible. You know, take all the, the structure and the boundaries off it and just go for the stars and mm. you will hit so much along the way. And it Absolutely. sounds like that what you did. You knew this, this is really difficult time to be doing this. This is, you know, to try and connect the fundraising and the play therapy and work with children in need and everything, it's too much. A lot of people would have said, yeah, it's, I can't do that. But you thought, I'm going to see how far I can go with it. Yeah, I, I think, I really feel like I had to do it. I didn't feel like I had another choice. And sort of more recently, I've been reflecting on that and thinking, what is that about, about me? And I think it was just kicking in the survive you know I have to do something with this energy of challenge and I have to have to channel it somewhere because if I don't you know it was showing up in all sorts of different areas of my life with like you know grief obviously yeah, yeah. 
anxiety, low mood, and, and I was struggling. And I thought I need to do something creative yeah. with this. I mean, I maybe didn't have those conscious thoughts, but my subconscious knew that I needed to, to channel. Yeah. And, so and I think that there's part of us as caregivers in whatever area that is, that we are better together. We, mm. I get so much from seeing clients. It's a two-way street. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure they don't realise it when we're in a room together, but I'm in the process as well as them. So I would mm. imagine, you know, you helping the schools and the children access this in a roundabout way was also you helping yourself through whatever you've been through as well. Yeah, absolutely. I felt, well, yeah, the other thing that I, I, I also did in the process was I, I started the charity with kind of the knowledge and experience I, I had. And I thought, you know, I don't need to know too much about play therapy for me to do this. I, you know, I just need my use my business brain. Yeah. But then as more as I went on and I, I thought, actually, I, I want to understand this a little bit more. I thought if I'm going to do this, I want to get under the skin of it. I want to know what it is, the mechanisms and how it works and why it works and and so I decided to go off and train in play therapy, um, which is what I did next. That's amazing. It, it, so I, I have come across it um, as I was a foster carer for 12 years. And the, one of the first long-term placements that we had, he was diagnosed with everything. You know, ADHD, oppositional defiance disorder, a whole ream of things. So he, he accessed play therapy. So, but we didn't get to know what went on in that room. You know, we dropped him off. He stayed there for an hour. We picked him up. And all he would say to us was that usually he'd had a bacon sandwich. That was the only information that we got from him. Uh So I can understand, you know, it it being therapy, that it is confidential. It's a safe space for a child to express whatever it needs to in that room. Mm. So, yeah, I, I don't know much about play therapy. Okay. So I'm yeah. so interested in everything. <laughs> oh yeah, well, we'll definitely be, we'll talk about that a little bit more because I suppose I, I came from not having any psychology background, no, no therapeutic training, but obviously experience working with children. So I, I kind of went into play therapy with a bit of an open mind yeah. about what it meant. And I honestly, I thought it was more about like what you do. Um, Sorry, can you hear that? Fine. That's fine. Carry on. <laughs> Someone's hoovering my front door. <laughs> hoovering? Well, let them carry on. Don't stop them. <laughs> um, so I went into play therapy with quite an open mind. And I, I honestly thought it was like, well, the games and the, the, the things that you do, you know, they, it, that's what makes the difference, right, with the child. And it's all about, you know, how you kind of structure that for them to help them move through different emotions and feelings. But what I quickly came to learn in my training is that it is very much about creating for children that safe relationship and working on secure attachments in a space by being consistent and predictable and all the things that you are as a therapist that to children mean the absolute world whilst they're building their attachment blueprint. Yeah. And and then the, the play is a vehicle to develop that relationship. And I mean, the play also has a myriad of wonderful benefits in helping children to learn. It gives them an outlet to express. So where they don't have words, you see them playing things out that, and you might think as a therapist, I wonder what might be going on here or what might have happened. Yeah. What trauma they might be processing. 
but really it's it's not actually even for us to know sometimes yeah yeah we just bear we just witness we witness the unfolding of the process and we hold space for it and we respond to the child in a way like like you do in any kind of therapy that holds up a mirror to them Um, I think with with this particular looks after child that we have he he would talk to me behind a door he didn't like eye contact it really made him feel nervous and uncomfortable so he would literally stand behind a door and talk to me through the door and he would he would talk about really in-depth things while he was stirring the gravy at Sunday dinner when there wasn't that face-to-face sit down and talk to me type of setup which he just he'd shut down so I can imagine even though a child is playing with a game the thought processes and the little chats that go on regardless you know like you said providing that safe space is so important for children so important and the consistency and the trust and yeah you being separate from the trauma somehow you know not knowing their history and everything about them is is a wonderful place to start with some children absolutely you know acknowledging that they are whoever they want to be yeah and so often we can project our wants and wishes onto children and try and fit them into a mold of of behavior and being pleasing to adults yeah yeah and play therapy gives them this space where they can be what they want to be and who they want to be with somebody who doesn't judge them and who can understand the language that they're using yes it's really powerful and it's not just you know just playing we'll we'll definitely talk more about the amazing benefits of play but yeah Honestly, when, when I did my play therapy training, I was, it was very experiential. So I was doing lots of the play therapy activities with a, another trainee therapist. And, you know, I'd be doing a sand tray or a painting or using clay, some kind of creative form of expression. And I would uncover so much about my own trauma just through doing a creative activity that I didn't even, I wasn't able to access verbally. Yeah. It yeah. unlocks a whole other side of the subconscious that we don't maybe even know is there. And I think, you know, I I work a lot with children and and parents. And one of the things I often say, it's in our instinct to ask children, why did you do that? What are you thinking? And lots of questions. And often they come back with, I don't know. And the honest answer is they don't. They, They can't, like you say, they can't articulate it. But even more than that, sometimes they don't know why they do what they do when they do it. And I can honestly say that the majority of the time, I don't know why I do certain things. If somebody tried to pinpoint me to say, why did you do that? I don't know. It just felt right at the time. (laughs) And children communicate through their behavior. When we're close to it, it feels like it's aimed at us as parents. You know, they're just doing that to wind me up. They're just doing it to annoy me. They know I'm tired, so they're just trying to whack. And that's not the case often. Well, it's not the case at all, (laughs) to be fair. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly that. And like, it's really interesting what you said about your foster son talking through the door. It's part of, part of it, of play therapy is like the, the most subtle things that you can think about that we wouldn't even take into consideration as adults, that you have to, you have to start thinking it as if you're a brand new person. 
<laughs> like think a alien. That's one of the things I used to say. Think alien. As if an alien is just landed and you're trying to explain to them how we communicate. Yes, yeah. exactly. And like, what might they need, to, yeah. you know, for us to feel safe? And that point of um, focus, like you said, some children find eye contact really way too intimidating and yeah. it's too scary. Yeah. So what, what happens in a play therapy session is that you recognize that quite quickly. Um, and then you you think about your body language and your facial expression and how it is that you actually are communicating so that you can facilitate a safe, a safe activity where maybe you're side by side with the child, shoulder to shoulder, and you're both looking at a game or a piece of paper. Yeah. And that becomes the container for the relationship and the, like you said, the, the chat about the things that might have happened that they're not even thinking about, that it's just coming out because yeah. it feels safe. Yeah, yeah. And then on the flip side, you've got the other kids who, who love or who need they crave your attention. So they want your eye contact all the time. Yeah. And then the trick there is to get them actually focusing off you and onto an activity. So again, you're, it's all about the dynamics of that relationship and how, how it's managed and how we use play to facilitate that. And, and what you say just really resonates with me. I can remember when I was doing my psychotherapy training, we learned that, right, this, this is what's going on and this is what happens. So you think, right, I've got that, I've got it sussed. And then they go, but the complete opposite can happen. So we need to be mindful of that as well. And then there's a gray area in the middle. We are all unique. Not only is, you know, is the trauma and the chaos that some children go through unique to them, but their personalities, how they've shaped as a person, you know, whether they're, like you say, they need the attention or whether the attention is just too overwhelming and they want to be invisible. So the, the spectrum, it, it's, it is, the relationship that's how you get to know what's going on a lot of the time yeah absolutely and it's I did find it really quite fascinating actually that how you know you can almost pick up on it you know whether a child feels finds attention overwhelming or or they they crave it what kind of relationships or experiences they might be having at home yeah um and how that behavior is mostly derived from learned messages that they're getting at home that maybe they're they're um you know when they're naughty they should be quiet and you know get away from me and you know then it might breed more of that repressed behavior and intro introversion and under stress yeah. or if it's quite inconsistent and lacking boundaries children will often play up more so that they can to test and see and i and i started to think about it and i was like would it be great if if more parents knew that this is this is what's actually going on and that their behavior parents behavior and the way that we respond to children has a direct correlation to the way that children behave yeah um, and it's not just them being naughty it's them so often just trying to keep safe yeah and you know that was one of the things that started me on my road to um psychotherapy i did something it's an american approach called the nurtured heart approach and it talks an awful lot about every interaction with another living thing is an exchange of energy whether that's positive energy or negative energy but any energy is better than none mm. so you know even in the worst case scenarios with some of these children negative energy is a connection yeah they're not getting it's, it's kind of like a mcdonald's as opposed to a sunday dinner the you know the attention 
if you think of that as nutritional energy, it's very minimal with a McDonald's and negative energy. But give them a Sunday dinner with lots of, you know, positive intent. And the praise for being as well as praise for doing was always really important to me. Do you know what I mean? It's not about being a high achiever. Sometimes it's about the effort that child's put in to just get out of bed and go to school in the morning. That can be massive to some children. Absolutely. Yeah. I was listening to your podcast, so you talked about that praise for being rather yeah. than praise for doing. And it's something that was, is so unconscious to us uh, when we work with children or we, you know, we have children. If we've not looked at this, it's how, what messages do we give literally verbally, but yeah. also non verbally with our body language and facial expression? Because children are so tuned in, they just have, it's like their sense for picking up, I suppose it's their sense for picking up danger actually. Yeah, oh, I yeah. think it's more, much more acute than, than ours in lots of ways. It's because... sense that we kind of lose the ability to have as adults. Mm. I read somewhere as well, I'm not sure whether you know this statistic, but there's something like, it's only 7% of our communication is done through words. Yeah. That's, that, it's ridiculous to say that that's how most of us communicate with each other. And yet 7%, that's... The rest is the tone of the voice, the intonation, the body language. Yeah, fascinating. Absolutely. And if you think that, like, if if a child's experience has been very kind of maybe predominantly negative facial expressions and body language, they start to they assign meaning to what that is. And then, obviously, as when they see those facial expressions and body language, that's how they how, how they're then interpreting the world. So it, even if it's not meant in in a malicious or a nasty way children will still make a meaning from it yeah which is why it's so important when we're building relationships with children that we're super mindful of absolutely every way that we're communicating not just with the words yeah and you know following on from that i i i had two children when i first started my nursery nursing training a long long time ago and i can remember doing my training thinking how have my children survived <laughs> I've done everything wrong. Do you know what I mean? They're going to be horrendous adults. They're not. They're wonderful human beings. But I think mummy guilt is a big thing that I see a lot of the time. That, mm. you know, if I'd have known then what I know now, I would have done it different. Mm. So, you know, one of my mottos that I use is, you know, I'm perfectly aware I'm not a perfect parent That's because nice. we've got our own stuff going on. And mm. I would imagine even in that room with that child when you're practicing, you're bringing part of you into that room we can't not that's mm. how we build relationships so it's about you know being kind to ourselves in amongst everything that we're going on as well to me is important yeah absolutely and I think the thing that I kind of recognize is or that I you know that I think should give everybody hope is that it's not about being perfect the research shows that it's about being good enough yeah. and good enough even is less than 50% of the time yeah. being of being you know predictable responsive and warm and I'm sure that you know most people are obviously doing a good enough job but the other thing is that 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 we are changeable beings we it's not fixed in stone we can repair that's the whole job of the relationship is that we when there's a break or a rupture in the relationship it's how we repair it Yes. that's more important than never having any ruptures in the relationship because there's always 
that's just the way that relationships work. They're designed to work like that. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And one of the theories that I use in transactional analysis is called ages and stages, mm-hmm. where we go through certain psychological stages, but then throughout our life, we recycle it over and over and over again. So those building blocks that maybe weren't put there, you know, in the first stage, we can fill them in. <laughs> yeah. and, and one of the things with this particular looks after child that with reflection, we were a really good placement for him because I had a six months old son when he came to us. Wow. So the things I was doing with my son, he joined in. He did messy playing, water playing, finger painting, and he would sit at the end of the bed with us while I read my son a bedtime story. So unbeknownst to me at that time, I was, you know, reparenting him to a certain extent. But he was a bystander. It wasn't the focus wasn't on him, which worked really well for him. But he was part of it. Yeah, I, I, I think by accident, I did quite a few things. Hadn't got a clue what I was doing at the time. It just happened. But yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, he's amazing now. He's got two boys of his own and he's doing absolutely fantastic. And he was officially undiagnosed with ADHD, which I take great pride in. <laughs> we knew we hadn't got it. It just yeah. come from a chaotic background. So yeah. the symptoms and what he was displaying was typical ADHD. But yeah, he he was undiagnosed. So that's one of the things I've got. To, I get on my soap boxes about diagnoses and labels for children. It's yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's fantastic. So tell me about the podcast and the, the treasure time that you do. How can people access all this wonderful knowledge that you've got? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so when I, um, you know, I sort of set the charity up and then it, you know, it kind of grew and grew and grew and it got to a point in uh, 2019 where I kind of thought, okay, well, I've, it's definitely grown out of its baby and maybe even its child stage now. It's, it's an adolescent and um, it needs somebody else to hold its hand for the, through the next stages. So I left my, my role as uh, the CEO in 2019. What I, what I wanted to do over that period was you know, I'd been thinking more and more about how, well, if parents had some of these skills, play therapy skills, but how could that positively impact on children's mental health and also make parents feel really empowered that they have yeah. some skills and strategies to, to help develop that relationship. Um, so I went on to set up Treasure Time, which is, uh, I actually did a, my master's in play therapy on, on Treasure Time. Um, and what I decided to do was like, okay, can I take some play therapy skills and teach them to parents digitally through an online course um, and then see a positive that would then see a positive improvement in the relationship at home and give parents an opportunity to kind of try out some of the skills and have more time playing with their children. Yeah. Um, And the results from the masters were really positive. You know, it saw parents stress levels reduced because all of a sudden the communication was better between themselves and child. They understood each other more. There was more kindness and empathy from the children, um, reduced emotional challenges. And so I was like, wow, they were like, there's really onto something here. Like this is, and it, what I did was I, I kind of thought there's no way that you can teach parents seven years worth of therapy knowledge yeah, <laughs> in yeah. a really short space of time. So I thought, okay, what happens if we strip it right back? Like, it doesn't have to be that deep. It can be, what are the practical things that we can actually do? And I think, honestly, the thing that makes all the difference is playing playing with the children. So that's what Treasure Time is. It teaches you 
and it gives you structure to do six child-led playtimes with your children and teach them, teach as parents how to use child-led play skills. And child-led just means that we allow the child to be completely in control during that time. It's that blank canvas. They can be who they want to be. They can take charge in a in life where they maybe have no control over most things. Which sounds really simple, but yeah. as a parent, it's really difficult to do. <laughs> mm. We do tend to direct our children. You know, if they're playing with a, a, a toy in an inappropriate way, we'll correct them and say, no, you don't do it like that. You do it like this. Does mm. it really matter how they're playing with it? My daughter does it. I laugh at her. She'll start colouring and then she'll just take over the picture, you know, and, and my grandson, Alfie, he's run off. He's doing something else. And my daughter's still sitting there colouring in the pictures. <laughs> it's really difficult to just take a back step as a parent and not be so directive with play yeah I, I see it quite a lot and I wonder if it's because obviously our jobs as parents are to teach and guide and nurture children yeah. um and so we just get you know it's very it's a default role to you know showing children how the world works um and that's okay uh but it's also good to include some child-led play so even if you know, treasure time, we teach you to put aside 30 minutes a week, up to 30 minutes, if you can manage 30 minutes a week at the same time, the same day, in the same room, with the same stuff. And that's the opportunity for the child to be in charge. And that kind of container of consistency and predictability helps children to feel safe. It also helps them to know and predict that they're going to have some time with you coming up. So they maybe are less attention hungry during the week. Yeah. You know, they're going to get their roast dinner. Love it, love it. <laughs> Once a week, yeah. rather than asking you for McDonald's every day. Yeah. Um, and it also, you know, then it gives you the opportunity to practice what it means to be child-led in 30 minutes of very contained time. So it means that you don't have to do this all the time, which is too big, but actually just give 30 minutes to it a week. And, and outside that 30 minutes, it's okay for you to be the teacher and the, the guide. Yeah. But, but to give them a, an experience of what it's like to be in charge, give your children that experience, teaches them independence, problem-solving skills, creativity, imagination, all of that really rich stuff can happen in just 30 minutes of play a week. I love it. That's amazing. I love the way that you've just stripped it back because you say, oh, here we go. It's another course. Every day for three hours a day, I've got to commit to doing this. And it's not. No, it's not. It's, it is very different. And like... I, it's interesting kind of looking out there in the market because most courses are quite, oh, I mean, I say this, maybe, you know, differently, but I would say that most stuff to do with children is quite educational. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But even if it's more CBT based, like working on values and beliefs and stuff like that, it's quite logical and conscious. Yeah. Whereas this stuff is, is very subconscious. It's very felt experience of actually allowing the child to, have a different type of relationship with you. And that builds up this attachment blueprint of security, which is what is shown to give children the best outcomes across their whole lifespan. Yeah. And what everybody wants for their children, but we might, may not necessarily know, like how, to, how on earth do you do that? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. probably the big question on, on most people's lips is, how do you make or grow a well-rounded and a well-developed child when there are challenges and we have our own stuff and there's lots of stress and actually it can be 
as simple as just like dedicating 30 minutes a week to, to doing something differently in learning it and I, I just love the concept of that you know I talk a lot with, with parents and children about you know resilience and, and having an inner wisdom often as parents we just need to listen to ourselves you know people say oh no there needs to be structure and we need to do this and we need to teach our children and we need to read with them and we need to do this and this and this and often parents just want to sit and play mm. but there's a little part saying it's not enough yeah I need to do more I need to have structure I need to have workbooks I need to have a star chart I need to do all this other stuff whereas if we just say actually no just being together mm. in a safe space and seeing what happens. Yes, we need a bit of structure. We need, you know, certain things in that room with us, but that can be phenomenal for some parents as well as children to just take the foot off the gas. Mm. Absolutely. And I think if what you said earlier about parents that want to join in the play or like take over the play, it that can actually be a need within us to have more play in our lives. Yeah. And if you're noticing that actually you find it very difficult to just sit back and allow your child to play, ask yourself where am I getting to play because um it it might be that you you need to find some time for yourself to do that's something a really it. really important thing is you know it, it is about us as well and particularly homeschooling and lockdown and working from home and everything else you know self-care isn't selfish it's a really important thing that we all need to be mindful of yeah mm, absolutely yeah I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So <laughs> I want to do one of these courses. I want to, I want to come and do one of them. I think it's amazing. The fact that it's stripped down. Did you say six pillars? Is that how it's designed? Yeah. So it's like six play six play times. Right. And I, you know, I've literally stripped it back to the most basic bones that anybody could access. Uh, and you just, just do as I say. Basically. Love it. Love it. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> because if you, as a parent, do as I say, then it you you create the container for the child to, to do how they want. Okay. So it's um and what I give you is six play times so that each week you just have to put a few things in place, like a, a specific place and a time and and a, a note on the door that says do not disturb and protecting the space and and then um the playtimes are all structured uh, with a specific activity which is designed to teach or um, for the child to experience a different skill. Uh, and I say teach, but I don't really mean teach yes, because yeah, yeah. in the play, children are learning naturally anyway. So we don't really have to do anything in this sense. Yeah. We just give them the space. Um, so it's, we work on things like storytelling and problem solving and creativity um those types of things which are really important and once you've done once you've done the six weeks the whole idea is that you're you you have enough skills to just allow your child to then lead it going forward so you just keep the safe container of space and time and materials and then the, you let your child tell you what they want to do this week and how they want to do it and then keep that going on forever and give them <laughs> and, the opportunity they will do that like I said, my grandson is two and a half and he spent, it must have been a good hour, and that's not an exaggeration, playing with a camera tripod in the kitchen. Uh -huh. it, that, that tripod became so many different things and he was just going, follow me, follow me. And he was definitely directing the play. It's a natural thing, but we tend to, 
I don't want to say knock it out of children because that sounds, you know, a bit strong, but we do direct them in what they need to be doing with play. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we, if we want children to develop a real healthy sense of what is it that they really like yeah. so that when they get to the teenage years, they've got a strong sense of self and they know like they know themselves well so that then they don't succumb to things like peer pressures, which obviously then become a bit of a concern. And then when they become an adult, they have a real sense of the direction that they want to take their life and they feel in control. They're not a victim to their life or a victim to their circumstances where they feel they have absolutely no power because they've learned very early on, actually, I get to choose what I do. I get to choose what I like. And I'm, I have respect yeah. from adults. And in that way, you know, we, we mentioned it right at the beginning, kind of fitting children into the mold. This time allows them to create their own mold. Yes. And we start to learn more about them as well yeah. and what they like and how they like to do things. We might start to notice, actually, he needs a little bit more time than I give him to do these specific tasks. So tomorrow when I'm asking him to put his shoes on, I'll give him an extra five minutes. Yeah. And then it doesn't impact on the child's self-esteem that they can't do it quick enough or yeah. well enough and, and those types of things. I the only other thing that, that kind of cropped up when you were talking earlier on is... How would you, and I'm putting you on the spot here, I do apologise, if you've got four children, mm. is it you do four children together in a room? Is it that you do individual time with each individual child? How, how, how does that work? It's individual time with an individual child. Okay. And obviously, you know, I understand that logistically that can be a challenge. Um, and there are ways that we can manage that as well yeah, by, yeah. you know, creating creating time containers for other children and activities if we can or yeah if, if we're fortunate enough to have somebody else who can can look after other children during that time then that's I great think but children can be really respectful if they know that they're getting their slot as well that's it yeah that, and that's what we're teaching it's those really subtle things that we don't we can't just say it and expect a child to understand how to respect time like they yeah. have to experience yeah. how to respect time and fairness is a thing that happens you know children uh lots of children have challenges when they feel that something is unfair but it's just yeah that they don't feel like they're getting enough yeah. and that's what it is so we have to sort of look at that and go okay well, well do maybe they need their own time yeah and I always recommend that parents kind of if if you think actually I have got four children and I couldn't there's no way I could manage two hours a week of doing individual time then do it one at a time for six weeks and start with the children who you feel have the greatest need first. Yeah. Just in the same way that you would take a child that fell out of a tree with a broken arm to the hospital yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, focus on that child and their needs. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. So there will be some show notes with this where I'll put all the websites and everything that, that you do. So people can get little snippets in the podcast. Is, yes, is that that's what the podcast it. is about, little snippets of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. In the podcast, we launched it last year during the first lockdown um, because actually we wanted to give some of the Treasure Time principles uh, and try and apply them to, to everyday life the experiences that people are going through during lockdown. So, for example, homeschooling and, yeah. um, and all of those types of difficult things that were happening for the first time using some of the treasure time principles like you know actually we have an opportunity to slow down and notice what yeah. we're giving not hurrying our children maybe or um you know allowing them to choose 
for themselves what it is they want to have for breakfast this morning and there's just little ways that you can sprinkle it the principles in every single day yeah and then do a more intensive 30 minutes of the playtime together with the child so if you haven't got time to do 30 minutes just listen to the podcast and try out some of the strategies that we've we've left in there yeah that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So um, I just want to say thank you so much. And I have no doubts I will have you back again at some point because literally I feel like I've stopped you halfway through. There's just so much I want to pick <laughs> your brains with um, that I can then use, you know, as a, a therapist, I, as a, you know, Play-Doh is one of the favourite things in the whole world for me when I'm working with children. You know, we, we just play with play-doh and you, you know shoot the breeze just mm. to get to know each other it's it's a lot for children to open up to somebody that they've never met before yeah. so you know as a parent you're you're halfway there because they already know you yeah. oh yeah absolutely yeah. the hard hard part's done really the next yeah. is enhancing and enriching what you've got yeah and, and do it for yourself as well. You get so much out of it. You know, having that safe space where you switch off from everything and it's just what's in that room, in that container that you've, you know, made with that child. You don't need to worry about cooking the tea or the washing or whatever it is. You can focus for half an hour too. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. You're an absolute star, Sophia. Thank you so much for, for being part of this. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll speak again very soon. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Living Life Being Human podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. And if you got value from this episode, please share it so that others can get value from it. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Jackie Jones Coaching or you can visit my website jackiejones.co.uk and click on the free resources tab at the top of the page for all my free and paid support. Thanks for listening.